Hello, hello. Thank you for tuning in to The Matrix is Real. My name is Neo. Um, just wanted to thank you for, for listening. Um, I took a lot of time off uh, after just growing tired and frustrated with the censorship of social media, um, podcasts, all that thing that just seems to have gone into a new level ever since uh, COVID-19 came out. Um, You probably don't know this if you're a new listener. I mean, I've got almost no one as of right now. But um, I used to have uh, about 250,000 followers on Instagram. Um, I used to run the account The Matrix is Real. Uh, I was first... Well, I was told regularly by a lot of different people that I was probably one of the most informative uh, pages on Instagram for a long time. And I, I, I tried to never let that get to my head, but I was posting a lot of information that no one ever really was. Um, one, one of my big rises to prominence was when I was covering the, uh, the mass shooting um, in Las Vegas a couple years ago. Um, I, was, uh, I was posting all the videos and all the intel from the ground, from my witnesses, all the stuff that you know nobody else was really seeing. And... Um, that's when you know people really started to follow my account in, in in large amounts, and that's when I first noticed the shadow banning was starting. Um, I would get direct messages from people saying that they couldn't follow me, that they couldn't tag a friend in one of my posts, they couldn't uh, direct message me, they couldn't even like my posts, they couldn't share uh, a co- you know copy uh, a video that I sent and you know repost it. Basically, it just it, the account was open, but no one really could participate. And I, I started noticing this because my followers just plateaued completely. I, I used to be adding, you know, hundreds and, and thousands of followers a day. But a couple years ago, all of a sudden, it just kind of flatlined at 250,000. I'd gain, you know, 800 and then I lose 600 and then I gain 400 and then I lose 900. You know, it's up and down, up and down. So that was the first tip off that something was going on. Um, then I think the next big story that happened was the Jeffrey Epstein uh, news and revelations that came out. Um, again, this was a time when a lot of people were talking about Epstein. Um, but the one thing that I really didn't see much connection at all on, on any social media was uh, Epstein's connection to Donald Trump, the, uh, the then sitting president of the United States. Um, I don't really want to get into that whole side topic, but the just to sum up that... People don't realize how closely connected uh, Trump has been to Epstein for a long, long time. And um, they also don't know that he was accused uh, and named as a, as a co-defendant along with Jeffrey Epstein uh, for raping a 13-year-old in, in lawsuits filed in California and in New York, both of which were thrown out on technicalities. Um, people also don't know that the uh, interview of the, uh, of the alleged victim was actually sent unblurred, her face unblurred. It was sent to prominent Republicans at the time like Ted Cruz and Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan, if you remember, was the Speaker of the House. Ted Cruz is one of the the prominent uh, Republican senators. And um, they didn't do anything. No investigations, you know, no, uh, no news. It just, it was, it was as if it just disappeared. And the only reason I think that is, if you have any amount of logic in your brain, is they were protecting someone. Because if these allegations were in any way credible against uh, somebody that w- would later come on to become the president of the United States, you know, that, that's something that should be seriously considered and investigated. They spent millions and millions of dollars investigating, uh, you know, clear, 
a clear hoax of Russian collusion, but they, they didn't care about investigating the, the likelihood that maybe a, a potential sitting president raped a 13-year-old with a convicted uh, sex offender. Um, anyways, that's when I really noticed that Instagram was starting com- started coming down hard on me, and um, it all kind of culminated when uh, I went to disable my account. I was just sick and tired of losing followers, of not being able to get the information out. I wasn't ready to delete it, but I disabled the account. And it was one of those things where I don't think the programmers of Instagram ever thought somebody would do what I did. But so you click, there's a little link that says disable account, and then it logs you out automatically. And then that's it. The next time you log in is if you want to reactivate your account. Well, I immediately logged back in just to make sure that it was disabled. And then upon logging in, expecting to, you know, them to ask me, do you want to reactivate? It says, we're sorry, your account has been permanently deleted due to a violation of our terms of uh, terms of use. So it was almost like my account was being attacked, 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 and they were waiting for me to, to disable it in some capacity. And as soon as I did, they just used that as a green light to, dis- to delete everything. So um, I, I'm, I'm back on Instagram with a different name. Um, it somebody else took uh, the username that I used to use the matrix is real uh, I've reached out to this person and, and honestly the best I can I best gauge I can uh, get is that uh, one of two things this is just some random person you know just wanted to get a name but they you know and that's the end of it or these are people that directly work for you know Department of Homeland Security um, various governmental organizations that um, are basically engaging in COINTELPRO where they're uh, trying to infiltrate these communities and groups and uh, act as if you know they're they're um, actually fighting against the system or resisting it in some way when in actuality they're you know surveilling people within the community and, and that sort of thing but anyways to to sum up that long story now um, now is the time when there are a lot of major changes happening in the world and it seems like overall most people only know pretty much what the news is saying these days. And I feel like, again, the reason is due to the amount of censorship. So what I wanted to talk about today, it, uh, it seems like COVID-19 is always, you know, no matter what you're talking about, if it's from pop culture to the latest TV show you're watching on Disney Plus or Netflix or whatever, to music, to, to you know, whatever it is, at some point, the conversation always comes back to either COVID-19 or face max or, or the vac- vaccine. I want to talk about something that's going on right now that a lot of people are paying attention to, but they're not really, I feel, grasping what's really going on. And that subject subject is, is of course, Bitcoin. Now, most people have heard about Bitcoin at this point, but I would say the general population, 90 plus percent, don't understand an ounce of it. Even if they understand the basic, you know, uh, the basics of how it works, they don't understand the history of it they also don't understand the technology behind it nor do they understand how the elites of this world the ones that control the money supply the one that controls the governments the ones that control the media and all the all and everything in this world these elites are also connected to bitcoin and i'm going to explain that right now so for starters bitcoin was created anonymously by somebody that uh, named themselves uh, uh, satoshi nakamoto um Following the financial crisis of 2007-2008, Nakamoto wrote a white paper and then launched Bitcoin um, 
and I believe when it launched, it was priced around like a dollar a coin. You know, it's now it's approaching sixty thousand dollars a coin. Um, but that's that's how it started. Now I don't know about you. Uh, the the market cap for Bitcoin has just resurpassed a, a trillion dollars. I don't know about you, but I would never invest in a product, good service that was created by somebody that I can't in any way identify and I don't know anything about them why they did what they did other than an anonymously written white paper outlining the technology of it furthermore I would never invest in something or give my money to someone or or, or an entity if it was shown that 12 years before Nakamoto launched Bitcoin the National Security Administration was actually writing a white paper of their own in 1996 that was talking about cryptocurrencies and basically an exact blueprint for what Nakamoto did 12 years later. So you already have, in my opinion, a huge piece of evidence that suggests that, you know, Satoshi Nakamoto may have been either directly uh, working for the NSA as as a contractor, an employee, or it could simply just be a moniker that just stands for the National Security Administration. Um, did you know, if you if you don't know anything about Bitcoin or if you're a Bitcoin fanatic, uh, you know, proponent, whatever you want to call yourself, um, that within the coding for Bitcoin contains uh, a code that was actually created by the NSA. It's uh, SHA-256. Now, that in and of itself doesn't mean necessarily anything. Um, uh, NSA coding can be found in various applications all over the world. Uh, it just, when paired with the fact that the NSA was also authoring white papers on cryptocurrency 12 years before Nakamoto did, it just lends more to the, kind of scratching your head like, that's interesting. Because again, in history, usually when people create and distribute a vastly new technology, something that is later adopted by major, major mainstream uh, financial institutions, governmental, uh, um, you know, entities, governments themselves in some cases, central banks, that sort of thing. It usually almost never happens anonymously, and that's exactly what happened. The other thing that just doesn't make sense to me is Satoshi Nakamoto, when he created and launched Bitcoin, he donated a million Bitcoin to himself in a public wallet that has not moved a single Bitcoin or even a SAT, SAT, if you're not familiar, is a, is the abbreviation for Satoshi, which is the smallest denomination of Bitcoin. Not even one SAT has, has moved from this public wallet since its inception. Now, a lot of people write that off and they say, well, you know, maybe Nakamoto just died. You know, it's been, tw- it's been a long time. Maybe he just died and, you know, but that's a pretty big assumption. You know, that would, to have that assumption, you would have to also assume that this this genius programmer um, somehow, you know, he, he created this 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 genius new form of digital money, and he must have been in his like 50s or 60s because usually if you're 30 years old, 30, 40 years old, you don't die within 10, 15 years. So that's again, in my opinion, a huge assumption. We're assuming that he died. If he didn't die, where the hell is he? Now, if you truly are a hardcore Bitcoin proponent. You should never want to convert your Bitcoin to fiat. 
fiat currency. That, that's currencies issued by uh, governments via their central banks. Uh, and, and I say there, they're not really their central banks. Central banks are private institutions. But basically, governments in 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 uh, in conjunction with central banks issue uh, paper slash digital currency, and they increase and subtract the money supply whenever they see fit. And that was the main. Uh, the main benefit of Bitcoin compared to fiat is that the money supply is fixed at 21 million Bitcoin. So it sounds great, but the fact that Nakamoto, if you add up the, the million Bitcoin that he has today, he would be one of the wealthiest people on planet Earth right now if he sold his and converted to fiat. Again, that, that could just be that he's really, really a diehard believer, but... I don't know many people that looking at that type of fortune wouldn't even move anything, you know, not even an ounce of it, you know, me- metaphorically speaking. Uh, but that's exactly what happened. So why is all this relevant? Why do I get care? Well, the elites of the world have long wanted to transition to a cashless society. They've wanted to do away with cash and have all transactions done electronically. Now, that they tell us it's so that you can cut down on money laundering, on criminal activity, on uh, uh, you know human trafficking, sex trafficking, that sort of thing. In reality, it couldn't be further from the truth. All the elites of the world and the governments of the world want to do is to be able to track and trace and, and analyze and store and record every single transaction on earth in real time. That is the ultimate goal. And why? Because with that amount of power, not only can you learn even more about people and, and how they act, what makes them tick, what their fears are, that sort of thing, but you literally can have complete total control of a society. And if you don't believe me, look to China. China already is pretty much a, a, a digital cashless society. Uh, they have the social credit system over there where I don't know if you're familiar with, but they can literally prevent you from buying stuff, from traveling. You, you go to the, the airport and you, you, you go to, to you know get your ticket and get on your plane. They say, I'm sorry, sir, your, your social credit score is too low. You can't get on the plane. It's actually a great uh, a TV show, uh, Black Mirror. There's an episode about it with the uh, actress Bryce Dallas Howard, who is in the, uh, the Jurassic World uh, franchise uh, series. Um, she's in this and it's the exact same thing as so many episodes of black mirror have literally come to come to life. And, um, so again, that's the whole point is they want to transition us to a cashless society. Now, if you, as the government tried to do it with your government money that nobody trusts already, what would happen? In my opinion, not only would people reject it, but they probably would try to find different ways to, to preserve the value of their, of their money. You know, traditional stores of value like gold, like silver, that, you know, real estate, that sort of thing. But instead, you have this brand new anonymously created, uh, you know, digital currency that was created as an enemy of the system. And it was in response to the to the, the hubris of the uh, the central bankers of the world and the governments of the world. And yahoo, rah, rah, we're enemies of the of the system. Um, I can't tell you how many people have told me how Bitcoin is anonymous. Yet, right now, unless you're doing a peer-to-peer exchange, which you can do it, but it's it's not very easy, especially it's not nearly as liquid as it is to going to a, a Bitcoin exchange, like Coin Coin uh, CoinDesk, Coinbase, or whatever it is. But um,
But if you're not going to uh, a peer-to-peer exchange and you're going to a regular uh, regular exchange, one of the first things you have to do is just like regular banking, just like regular investing, you have to enter a social security number or taxpayer identification number. You have to usually upload your driver's license. You have to fill fill out your identity information, your address, your you know all that stuff, and then this 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 made me think like it was a freaking hostage situation. You also, in some cases, have to take a photo of yourself, and on, in the photo, you have to be holding a white blank sheet of paper with your name, the date, and a message that you're opening the account to invest in cryptocurrencies. You have to upload that to them. How is that anonymous? Literally anyone transacting in these exchanges, the government, if they want, they can literally see everyone that's doing it. And furthermore, we know from, yeah, Bitcoin's, uh, um, what is it? The Bitcoin's platform, the entire blockchain is open source. So, you know, that's, that's again, it's, 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 it's private. It's, it's secure. It's, it's open. So it can't be controlled centrally, but Edward Snowden revealed, I believe it was in 2013, that the NSA can literally track every Bitcoin transaction, every Bitcoin user, everything can be tracked. And the NSA has even used Bitcoin transactions to track down people that it's after and it's it has successfully captured people based on the Bitcoin transactions. So Bitcoin isn't really anonymous either. So from my perspective... If you wanted to create a way to help people transition to a cashless society, you create uh, an entity that is outside of you, so somebody that's anonymous in this case, you create something that is becomes popular and makes people want to participate. I don't know if you've been seeing the, the Bitcoin price movements in the past couple of months. I mean, yeah, compared to like all time, I'm just saying literally people forget Bitcoin's almost a $60,000 a coin today. Just a couple months ago in September, it was at $8,000 a coin. That's a $52,000 gain in a few months. Why? What has fundamentally changed? The only thing that has fundamentally changed in the past few months is that big institutions are starting to adopt it. And in some cases on Wall Street, some major you know, Fortune 500 com- companies are diversifying their balance sheet away from uh, cash. So away from holding dollars on their balance sheet, they're using those dollars and buying Bitcoin and keeping their Bitcoin on their balance sheet. Uh, The most notable ones that have done this recently, uh, Tesla, led by Elon Musk, which ironically, uh, the day that they made their announcement on their Bitcoin purchases, the stock actually entered a bear market and is down about like, I think, $150 a share uh, in a span of a few weeks. Um, And then besides them, it's MicroStrategy. And a company called Square, the the, the little tiny Square uh, merchant uh, processing company that you know you swipes credit cards and that sort of thing. And there's there's a couple others, but the point is is that you have major financial institutions. I have also read PayPal starting to adopt it, and um, I don't know if they directly outright purchased it, but they're trying to integrate it into their platform. Uh, Visa, same thing. But understand the logic here of people that worship Bitcoin. It's anonymous and it's decentralized, but it's not anonymous and it's not decentralized because it's being adopted by these central financial authorities in the world. 
some of the biggest companies and slowly but slowly more and more major banks, major financial institutions. The only thing that's changed again for Bitcoin in terms of the price is other people buying it, other people being interested in it. This has never been an investment strategy that the term is called FOMO, fear of missing out. People literally starting to buy things because they're going up in value because they're and that's not the only reason they want it. They see everyone else buying it and it's going up in value. So what is kind of supporting Bitcoin's price right now is all these government dividend check or stimulus checks. Um, they've I've seen reports that banks, some of the banks, I think it was Bank of America, broke down the numbers and the amount of money that's going out in stimulus checks is roughly equal to the amount of money that is entering the, the financial markets via Bitcoin, via the, the regular stock market. And we've also seen, you know, things like GameStop, uh, the Wall Street bets, you know, Reddit uh, movement uh, pumping up, you know, these these worthless stocks and, you know, pumping them up from, you know, $10 a share up to I saw GameStop close at $350 a share. It's all time high in, in closing. And, and GameStop, it's, it's, a, it's a company that was literally on its way out. The only reason the price has gone up that much is because the amount of sh- uh, shares that are short the stock. If you don't know investing, when you short a stock, you borrow the shares from somebody else and you sell them in anticipation that later you will buy back the shares at a lower lower price. So when you have a lot of shares out shorted, there's a lot of people that have to buy back the stock. So if you start making the price go up, it's called a short squeeze. All the people that are short the stock, they have to buy it and cover it because the 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 amount of money they're losing, but also the usually the amount of uh, debt they have to pay, the interest they have to pay to borrow those shares becomes higher and higher and higher. Where it's just it's a losing trade. You got to get out of it. So the point is, is that we're talking about something that, in my opinion, is is practically useless. You know, you can make you can say the same things about gold. You can say you know the same things about silver. You know, gold's supply isn't finite. It, it, it's constantly increasing. Um, gold only has value because we agree that it does. And people are only, it only is worth as much as it is because people are agreeing to pay it. That's all true. But unlike Bitcoin, gold still has been used and is used for a number of different applications from typical consumer applications like jewelry to industrial applications you know gold is highly conductive to electricity it's not used uh, a lot because it's very expensive but it, it is it has a lot of other applications bitcoin doesn't it's a medium of exchange only and the only in my opinion the only uh reason to value it is Im- implied scarcity uh there's never going to supposedly be any more than 21 million bitcoins ever created in existence which again I've been working with computers long enough that you can pretty much rewrite any sort of program that you want and you can change it with with the breakthroughs that, that the world is making in, in the form of quantum computing. I've already heard some people say that, you know, quantum computers may advance to the point where they can actually break, break the blockchain for Bitcoin. And I wouldn't I wouldn't hold my breath. I think it's po- not only possible, I wouldn't be surprised if they already can do it. So long point is now that the price is skyrocketing everyone loves bitcoin everyone you see i saw lindsey lohan talking about it the other day i saw soldier boy the rapper talking about it the other day russell okung the the one of the um seattle seahawks 
Uh, I think he's the defensive lineman. He's very vocal about it. And, you know, again, in theory, it's not a terrible thing. But when you add up all the numbers and all the pieces, it just doesn't look like a very, very good thing. Because here's here's where I see the, the way that it's going. Governments have long wanted to create a cashless society, like I said earlier. How are they going to get it, though? If Bitcoin, the way that a lot of people talking about Bitcoin, if Bitcoin was going to continue to rise, I've been seeing price targets now $100,000 a coin by Morgan Stanley. I've seen somebody else say $400,000. I've seen people say as high as four to $5 million. You also have to understand this from a historical perspective. Every single time the U.S. dollar has been threatened, the responsible parties involved that are threatening it have always been eliminated. The most recent examples would be Muammar Gaddafi of Libya and Saddam Hussein of Iraq. Um, both of them tried to sell their country's oil and bypass the dollar by selling it in a non, non-dollar currency. So for Saddam Hussein, he tried to sell Iraqi oil in euros and uh, very quickly 9-11 happened and for some reason Iraq was invaded even though Iraq had... We, we, we later learned Iraq had no involvement whatsoever in 9-11. But Saddam Hussein was, you know, chased out of his out of his uh, his secure, you know, palace or whatever. And we all remember, if we were alive, we all remember the vi- images of him being, you know, dug up out of the ground, basically. And, and he was assassinated. So, number one, guy threatened the U.S. dollar and, and the, the, the power that goes along with it. Killed. Then, years later, Muammar Gaddafi... He took it, he took it even a step further. He met, and you might, you probably don't even know this. He met with the African leaders in Lib in in in, uh, in I don't know if they met in Libya, but he met with the African leaders, and he said, "Look, if we want to break the chains of Western imperialism that have long plagued our our continent, the most effective and surest way to do that is stop using their money. Their money is how they control us." And so he proposed issuing a gold-backed African dinar that was going to be their currency and they would use this money to sell within the continent of Africa very quickly very quickly all of a sudden Gaddafi is a is a is a is a murderer he's a he's he's committing genocide even though literally a couple you know a year or two before the president of the United States at the time Barack Obama was seen smiling and shaking his hand at, at you know at state 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 meetings you know heads of state meetings but within a, a couple months or years or whatever, now you literally have Gaddafi being chased out of Libya, of Tripoli. And uh, people don't know maybe the details of how he was actually killed. But Hillary Clinton, basically through the State Department, was negotiating a ceasefire at his surrender. On on his route, he was, he was uh, I believe he was traveling with a motorcade. He had a security detail, a car in front and a car behind. As they're driving to the location that the Clinton and the State Department agreed to basically allow him to, to, to negotiate and to surrender, a drone strike out of the sky hits the two cars that are that are you know that are that are going with him, and he's in the wreckage, he's pinned in. Then very quickly, Western-backed mercenaries, also known as terrorists, descended upon him and literally I you know. I hope you're not having young kids listen, but literally raped him with the barrel of a, of a machine gun and then, assa- and then killed him. And it was all backed by the United States. 
at the time, the United States was providing logistics support to uh, the mercenaries in Libya. Uh, I've also read reports that they were, they were providing weapons and, and training. So you have on record two heads of state, two democrat- democratically elected uh, figures assassinated because they threatened the U.S. petrodollar standard. If you don't know what that is, basically the U.S. dollar is no longer backed by gold like it was prior to the prior to uh, Richard Nixon breaking that. But it is now backed with the the full might of the U.S. military and the uh, the oil of the world because all oil on planet Earth is sold in dollars. So com- countries therefore then need to uh, buy dollars via government bonds. And that's how the, the United States has always has a, a demand for debt. They can literally do whatever they want because the countries have to buy their debt in order to have dollars so they can buy stuff and sell stuff. So the point to all that, that little spiel is, is here comes Bitcoin. Literally causing major companies on Wall Street to abandon the dollar already. You think the U.S. government's just going to sit by and, and take it? Of, I mean, what are you? What are you, naive, brain dead? The way that I see it playing out is just like in 2007, 2008. Back then, they said housing will never go down. It's a, it's a guaranteed foolproof trade. And as a result, what happened? All of Wall Street piggybacked on the exact same trade. They all bought MBS, which is mortgage-backed securities. They all were issuing subprime uh, mortgages. And eventually the derivatives market blew up and it took everything else with it. So now we have more and more, not only individuals, but actual major financial institutions and, uh, and corporations piggybacking the exact same trade, just like they did in 2007, 2008. But now it's with Bitcoin. I'm just going to give you a, a very clear example for, for uh, Tesla. Elon Musk, they bought Bitcoin of $1.5 billion, around $37,000 a coin. It's at $60,000 today. It's a pretty hefty profit if you sold. So far, as far as I've seen, Tesla has not sold a single Bitcoin, nor has MicroStrategy, nor has any of these other companies that are building their portfolio right now. If the price of Bitcoin ever drops dramatically and stays there at sustained levels, so let's say, you know, we, we let's say we hit 100000 but let's say then it, for some reason, all of a sudden the price drops to 25000 and stays there. It doesn't rebound. It just stays there. Are, are companies going to sell then? What's their, what's their exit strategy? At what point do they secure it and realize their profits by selling? I haven't gotten a single straight answer from anyone. And I'm active on Twitter. I'm active, you know, by asking questions. No one, not only directly, obviously, the CEOs or anything or anyone affiliated with the company, but none of their supporters either ever have an answer for that. And, and the, 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 the non-answer is the answer. There is no strategy. There is no exit strategy. So therein lies the rub is the fact that you have so many people, retail investors are, are literally buying, putting all their life savings and their stimulus checks into this. If all of a sudden some dramatic a crisis happens it's called a black swan event if something happens that triggers some major financial you know road bumps if bitcoin were to fail and crash dramatically it would blow up a lot of major financial institutions just like Lehman Brothers did it would blow up a lot of major companies i with the way that tesla has been in terms of its profitability you could see tesla go under very easily um 
and nobody seems to be prepared for this. But what happens if it does happen? I already know, and I can tell you, and you you probably can figure it out. The governments of the world, the central banks of the world, will be there standing at the ready to save the day with their own digital currencies as they're already actively discussing. Um, I, I heard this week Jerome Powell, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, saying that the Federal Reserve is actively researching and exploring um, issuing its own digital currency, which, technically speaking, the U.S. dollar is already digital. Uh, only about 12 to 15 percent, I think, of the of the money supply for dollars is actually in paper form, you know, in, in physical currency. The rest only exists in computers. So you could already make a case that the U.S. dollar is a digital currency. It's just unlike Bitcoin, it has the benefit of it has paper currency as well. You also have uh, China is actively developing their own digital currency. I saw India just banned all cryptocurrencies that were not issued by the, the Indian government. Um, so the point is, is that they're all ready to issue their own. They need a fall guy. They need a patsy in order for the, the mainstream people that are that are behind Bitcoin to, to abandon Bitcoin and go for their version of it. So that's the way that I see it going. And I feel like I'm on the right path because I've I really tried to engage people in this discussion. And the only reactions I ever get from people that are that are supporters of Bitcoin is engaging in the logical fallacy known as ad hominem attacks, which is basically calling people names. Just, just that's your only argument is to call them, call them names, and then bringing up how much money they've made since investing in Bitcoin. You know, uh, they just want to throw it in your face and brag about it. And it's like, you know, great, good for you. I'm really happy that you've profited. Which again, it's so ironic for me. You're you're so about being against fiat currencies, and you're all about Bitcoin, but. You're always measuring your wealth in fiat currency. Like the way that like logically for me, if you really want to abandon yourself and disconnect from the dollar, you're only stacking Bitcoin and sats. That's all you're doing. You you can use it as a trading vehicle to accumulate more Bitcoin. So for example, you know, the price is at $50,000, it dips to 40. You buy at 40. You, you let it run up to, to 50 again or 55, you sell. And then the next time it dips, you use those proceeds to buy more. And then you hold it. But that's not the strategy that I ever hear people doing. It's a matter of they're just trying to make as much cash as they possibly can. It is a trading vehicle. It is a speculative bubble. So, um, I, again, the whole reason I did this episode today is that cashless society is a long-term goal of the elites. And the mark of the beast uh, will be how it is implemented, is how we will transact. Uh, you can't have a, a digital you know, mark on your hand that you use to pay for things and to sell things and to go to work and to go into stores and stuff like that. You can't have that with paper physical currency still in existence because you could still you know, hand somebody a dollar bill and buy something. But if you go fully digital, that's where they can really, really try to force you and coerce you into doing it. So uh, I'm going to be doing more episodes coming up, but I hope, uh, you know, you learned something about Bitcoin today. Uh, Invest at your own risk. Again, my position is that Bitcoin was founded by the NSA. Satoshi Nakamoto is either an acronym for the NSA, because technically speaking, all the letters are in there. And uh, or is a contractor or somebody that was working for the NSA. Um, The evidence is all there. 
You decide for yourself. My name is Neo. This is The Matrix is Real. Out.